I'm Steve Arvado. This is Lessons in Leadership. We are producing remotely, as you can tell, but the substance, the content, the compelling nature of this program, you catch it every week on a variety of platforms. And the reason it's so interesting is because of the young lady who you see on camera. That's Mary Gamba, who is the co-anchor. She's the executive producer. Yeah, she runs the show. Keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Mary, it's not in the script. I got nothing left. Hey, that's uh, Mary, okay. Mary, tell people right out of the box, other than on News 12 Plus, the other information and media platforms they can catch, lessons in leadership. Definitely. So first and foremost, you can go to our website. That's the easiest just to go to stand-deliver.com. We have all the different platforms listed there. Uh, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Play, Spotify, uh, Best of NJ, Meadowlands Media, NJBIA. So, uh, but the easiest way is just go to stand-deliver.com to our website. And there's also a lot of valuable articles and tips and tools there as well. Don't plug that now. <laughs> Sorry. My bad. Wait. Sorry. It was it's too, okay. too soon. Too, too soon. soon. Too okay. soon. First show of the day. Come on. Right. Yeah. We're by the way, you just gave it away, Mary. We taped several shows in one day, and the key to our show, other than Mary asking great questions and me just listening and learning, because lessons in leadership, the name of the book, the name of the show, is all about becoming better leaders, is to have great guests, backed by popular demand. He was with us back in uh, November, I believe, in 2018. We're only on audio then. Now he is with us, video and audio. He is Pete Taft who's co-founder of Taft Communications. Good to see you, Pete. Good to see you, Stephen. Hi, Mary. Hi, Pete. Pete, you're coming to us from? Hopewell, New Jersey. Beautiful downtown Hopewell. Love it. Pete, by way of background, uh, Taft Communications, describe it for folks. Sure. It's a marketing public relations firm. We handle everything from Fortune 500 companies to nonprofits and foundations. We have a commitment to service that uh, nonprofit sector. And uh, we like to say that we help organizations deliver meaning and purpose in their messaging. And your background, Pete, and you, we've known each other for more than two decades. Um, the great, late, our mutual friend, Ray Bermucci, brought us, brought us together, um, yeah. who served in the federal government as a top-level government official on the state uh, level, as well as the uh, head of uh, the Department of Labor. Right. Fair to say your background, Pete, is in connecting with people through words and meaning? Uh, I would add pictures, uh, but yes, absolutely, you're right. Uh, 10 years as a print journalist, uh, three years with Ray and the team there under Governor Florio, and then I hung out my own shingle with my wife, who's in advertising, so the advertising and communications piece yep. that I came together, and now we celebrated our 37th year in New Jersey. That's well amazing. Done. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very Pete, much. Pete, in these very uncertain times, we're taping the show um, in very late July. It'll be seen later than that. During this um, challenging is not even the right word. During this very difficult pandemic, global pandemic, COVID-19, how have you changed the way you and your team operate as a leader? Well, the simple answer is everybody. I mean, we're Zooming, we're doing everything electronically, obviously. But I think what has come clear to us as the leaders of the firm is that we need to be more proactive. We need to ask better questions of our, of our people and of our clients. We need to be more empathetic because it's hard to be empathetic over Zoom. You, you know, being present with someone is a big, big benefit. We don't have that benefit. So I would say overall, 
we're turning up the volume on the fundamentals of leadership, which means more contacts, more empathy, more questions to try to overcome this distance that we're feeling. One more quickie before Mary jumps in. Um, by the way, Mary, let's thank the folks who make lessons in leadership possible, please, because as Pete says, you've got to reach out and you've got to acknowledge and say thank you, particularly in difficult times. Let's thank the folks who make lessons in leadership possible. Sure thing. So uh, first and foremost, we have Gibbons PC, then we have Valley Bank, Prager Metis, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and our newest is the Down Strategic Leadership Institute um, that was founded by Larry Downs, our great friend. That's right. Pete. Yeah. And Larry Downs, it's interesting. Um, Larry was with, uh, as a leader at New Jersey Resources for many years. Larry and I have had conversations for a long time about the need for CEOs slash leaders, people in top level positions in whether it's government, the corporate world, the nonprofit world, to be the best communicators they can be. How challenging is it for you and your colleagues to give hard to hear but important feedback and advice to CEOs and other leaders who sometimes are convinced they know best or they wouldn't be the leader? That's a really good question. Um, it, it's always difficult because leaders tend to have appropriately large egos. They've gotten where they are. I'm sorry, you're talking to me, Pete? <laughs> I'm sorry. Not as not specifically, but um, Go ahead. I'm they've, sorry. Gotten, they've gotten not where, me. <laughs> they've gotten where they are because they believe in themselves and yeah. what has gotten them there has worked, right? So we need to tread delicately and we need to respect what brought them there. But you know what? Frankly, Steve, what I have found to be the most effective tool is just tell the truth. If you don't, if you want to fire me, if you don't want to hear the truth, you'll make that very clear. But what I find, I'd say 9.5 times out of 10, a good leader is not only experienced, knows him or herself, but is willing to take, take the candid, unvarnished truth. So I say just be honest. Got it, Mary, go ahead. Yeah, tough communications. Obviously, you're um, helping folks with communications. You're helping them with getting out PR, marketing. But in these challenging times, particularly with COVID, what advice do you have for organizations? Because I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like we did for a while. How do you put yourself out there without feel, like looking like you're insensitive, but we still have to continue living, promoting ourselves, yeah. while also realizing... Exactly. While also realizing the impact of COVID on so many lives. So right. what advice do you have for those folks? Uh, two things. The first and easy response is social media is just ablaze now, of course, because everybody's using it. But that's a fairly simple proposition. I would actually say that um, I would go back to uh, repeating your message in every form that's possible. I'll give you a good example. Uh, I'm working with a, a large client in San Diego, and uh, we used to meet once every two weeks. We now meet once every week. We now meet at a specific time, which is rare. We usually don't do that. We usually try to catch the executives when we can. They're home now, so they can say, you know, I've got a 9.30 to 10 slot. So I would say, in addition to really pushing on the social media side, um, uh, I would say, again, repetition keep at it, stay in front of them more often than not. Can I also offer something else? The phone is now, people now love to talk on the phone because they're tired of Zooming. So <laughs> I'm a phone guy, I'm old school. So I'll just pick up the phone and say, you know, is, is Joe there? And all of a sudden I'm through. So the phone suddenly has become an interesting and important tool. One more quick follow-up on this, Pete. 
one of the things that things that you and I have talked about a lot, and it goes back to our mutual friend and, and mentor Ray Ramucci. Um, by the way, search Ray B R A M U C C I Ramucci. Um, talk about a leader. So Pete, Ray taught us about relationships. Ray taught us about building meaningful relationships, maintaining those relationships, fostering those relationships. That's a big part of why you and I are together. Pete's also on the board of the, our not-for-profit caucus educational corporation. It's relationships. How much of leadership is ultimately getting stuff done, which is ultimately about having very strong relationships in addition to having good ideas? Uh, boy, have you put your finger on it. I believe leadership is 100% relationship. How you talk with someone, how you tell bad news, how you comfort someone or are sympathetic to someone if they're going through a tough time, how you give feet. It's all relationships. I'll give you a very simple way to think about leadership. I use this all the time. I often say to leaders, look, you're the mayor of a small town. Your 100-person foundation, your 1,000-person corporation, that's your town. And people aren't going to give you your vote just because you're the boss. They're going to give you their vote because they believe in you, because you walked by their office, because you stopped and asked how things are. You know that old saw about ma management by walking around? Well, leadership right. by walking around, which is, by the way, is really tough now. I concede that. But when we get back to normal times, boy, is that important. By the way, real quick, I believe management by walking around was coined by Tom Peters yeah. uh, in his yeah. book, In Search of Excellence, 1984. Mary, I'm not bragging. You just know I that. can't believe, well, <laughs> it was most impressive that you knew the name of the book, the author, but the year? 1984. Yeah. There go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't I say what grade library. I was in in 1984, Steve. I'll, I'll yeah. leave that aside then. <laughs> I have no... Mary gets a lot of airtime for someone who's very snarky and hits me with shots. It was, a good, it was a good one. Can you sense Thanks. the tension, Pete? What's that? Can you sense the tension between us? Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> That's why people stay tuned in. It's a healthy, yeah, healthy, healthy tension. Healthy. And by the way, Pete's, Pete's so right about relationships because we've talked about this a million times. I won't bore the audience. It's Mary, it's our relationship over 20 years going through some very tough times, very honest. So Pete talked about feedback. Mary gives you feedback. Sometimes you don't want to hear it, but you need to hear it. And our relationship's stronger because of it. Steve, Last point I want to make is that Pete, go ahead, Pete. Look, I just want to make one quick point about a story about Ray that illustrates this point. Uh, Ray was a Democrat, and the Speaker of the House at the time, I think it was Chuck Hightine, I'm not sure, it was a Republican. It was a Republican. Yep. It was Chuck Hightine in New Jersey. Yep. I watched Ray 10 times over the course of my three years with him say, he called me Pete's. Pete's, get me, get me the speaker on the line. I got some bad news for him. And Ray would pick up the phone, let's say it was Chuck, I think it was. He would say, Chuck, I'm gonna make you mad tomorrow. Here's the press release we're putting out. And they would talk, they would argue, and then they'd start laughing. Uh, it's, it's, that's a relationship, you know, when you can deal with the hard stuff, the tough stuff, and then have a beer, have a good time together. Final piece is that awful, that builds an awful lot of trust in the process. Oh. Hey, Pete Taft was great on the audio side. He's even better when you can see him in here. And Pete Taft is co-founder of Taft Communications, also a board member at our Caucus Educational Corporation, not-for-profit, public television-related production company. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mary. Great. Stay Take safe. Care yourself, my friend. Stay safe. Wash your hands. You got it. I'm Steve. That's Mary. That's Pete. Alvin and Frank are behind the scenes with Nick, who's around here somewhere. Our 
17-year-old son, soon to be 18. And we'll be right back right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. Uh, Steve and Mary are here. Mary, let's set up this interview with uh, Dr. Joe Nair, president of Seton Hall University. You had the opportunity to speak with him recently, and it was just fascinating. Of course, COVID has impacted so many organizations, and higher ed uh, really is one of them at the top of the list because it impacts thousands and thousands of students and faculty members. And Dr. Nair just really talked about how co this COVID situation is going to be a case study for years to come. And he provides his insight into the leadership lessons that he's learned and how he's going to mm -hmm. apply them in the future. So interesting, the, the decisions that leaders make have such a great impact on so many others. You, for example, with your son about to go off to college, you know, you save, you work hard, you and your husband, and it's about to happen. And hey, wait a minute, what are we doing? And the same thing at Seton Hall, right? It right. affects parents, kids, uh, faculty members, uh, people who work at the university, on campus, remote. Yeah, it right. impacts everyone. And, and the one thing that you and I have talked about a lot in the past is, as parents, I know the first thing that we want to do is throw our arms up in the air and say, we're spending all this money. We want to have our kids have a traditional college experience. This is such a, a, a challenging, difficult time, unprecedented. I know that word is used a lot. But to put that unfair pressure on these universities who are really just looking out for the best interest of the students, I just think right now we're going into it with an open mind, taking each day as it, as it comes. And, you know, maybe in September he'll be going off to school. Maybe it'll be remote, but it's still going to be college. And, and they're going to be stronger and more resilient because of it. You know, what's so interesting about it as we do this program, and again, we don't try to be timely. This program will be seen well after the summer into the fall. But there, and I don't know what's going to happen with Major League Baseball, but as we do this right now, mm -hmm. Commissioner of Major League Baseball had to make a decision, had to step up and lead, and nothing to do with baseball, everything to do with leadership, after several members. As we do this program, looks like eight, ten, not sure the exact number of the Florida Marlins. Is that what they're called? The Miami Marlins or Florida? I think they're just uh, the Florida, attention. but yeah. After the Yankees, I don't care. So, uh, <laughs> but I do know this, it affects not only just that team, but the league, uh, their families the fans thank you it's miami marlins thank you badger uh, elvin appreciate that um so here's what's funny about it someone's going to get hurt no matter what if you say it's just about the kids at a university level it's just about the students that's all we care about but if you do that in such a way where economically you can't survive is it really for the students if you have to close your doors in baseball we're just doing it to be safe with our players is that totally is that really all there is, or is there obviously an economic component? What I'm saying is there are conflicting sometimes agendas and goals, and for leaders, that means you're going to make a decision where they're going to be winners and losers. That's exactly right, and, and it's an unfair situation that le yes, these is. leaders are put in. It's a lose-lose. They're, they're trying to balance so many different stakeholders in the process, whether it's the fans, if you're talking about baseball, the players. They've gone as far as to pipe in fake audio and cheering and just to give us the same experience as we're watching from home. 
And there, I think all the leaders across the board, of course, there are some, you know, maybe not, but the majority have the best interests of their key stakeholders right. in mind. And, you know, us as a consumer, as a viewer, as the parent sending off their kid to college, I think we need to give them a little bit of a break and applaud their efforts because they really are trying to do their best. Uh, on that note, Mary sets up the interview with Dr. Joseph Nyer, president of Seton Hall University. Remember, the university, Seton Hall has this terrific Bucino Leadership Institute where I've been honored to teach for the last year or so. Um, it's one of the few universities and colleges that has an actual institute dedicated to teaching, coaching, preparing the leaders of tomorrow. Without further ado, Dr. Joe Nyer. This is, in fact, Lessons in Leadership. We are talking leadership with uh, the president of Seton Hall University, Dr. Joseph Nyer, who's been in leadership positions for more than a few years. Good to see you, doctor. Great to be with you, Steve. You know, we're taping this interview in the middle of June. Things will change. Biggest leadership lesson you've learned in the midst of COVID-19 is? The demonstration of integrity and leadership. What does that mean? We saw the higher education sector, particularly the Eastern Seaboard, take action as the virus came ashore. They took action before CDC guidance, took action before executive orders or government guidance in the best interest of the students and their faculty. They canceled study abroad. We were one of the first to do that. We, we closed our campuses and moved to remote learning without guidance from any uh, form of government or, or from the CDC. We knew it would be a significant impact on the college's budgets, but colleges and universities up and down the Eastern Seaboard acted quickly in the best interest of our students and our employees. Mm. Let me follow up on this. I said in a previous interview that we did for public broadcasting that um, my connection to the university is on several levels. And one of them is that I, I, I've taught a seminar on leadership and communication at the Bucino Leadership Institute, a big part of the university. Big part and so I keep, asking myself this question, to what extent do you believe leadership or leading in this pandemic winds up being an extraordinarily powerful, complex, and relevant case study for all students of leadership moving forward? We'll be studying this for the next 10 to 15 years. The actions taken early to protect the health and well-being, to, to move from the hour-to-hour day-to-day crisis management to then the planning for the fall and beyond required a multitude of leadership skills, leaders and teams working together without clarity on multiple sets of contingency plans to ensure that the students' best interest and the faculty's best interest were brought to the fore. But doctor, when you say on uncertainty, right? Um, here's what I keep thinking about. And I've been writing about this, teaching and, and really struggling with it. And it's, we, I keep saying we, our, our leaders need to be more strategic and so what does it mean to be strategic? I'm not going to get on my soapbox, don't worry. But I think to myself, think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're going to get there is tactical. But a lot of that re requires, Dr. Nair, for you to know certain things, that there aren't so many variables, not the least of which, which is what is tomorrow going to bring? So here's my question. How the heck can really great leaders be as strategic as they need to be in the way they think if there are so many unknowns and so much uncertain? We have to set a course. Sometimes we have to set multiple courses. I've seen in our country over the last 10 to 15 years, you've seen it too, that if you change course, you're seen as someone that was weak or that you were flip-flopping. I think it's a sign of strength. 
So we had multiple teams working on multiple contingencies because of the uncertainty, because we weren't sure what path the virus would take. But I'll also share that we benefited from a colleague of mine who I trained with at Harvard Medical School who helps lead the healthcare system in Spain. She and I spoke every morning for about 90 days in a row at 6.30 a.m. our time because we knew that the virus was about four to six weeks ahead in Spain. And what they were experiencing that day, we might be experiencing three, four or five weeks down the road. And that sort of information coupled with strong leaders and great teams, we were able to synthesize information and set contingency plans well into the future. Quick follow up on this. You come into Seton Hall as this is happening, right? That's correct. You're not there that long when things break. That's right. And, and one could view that as an opportunity. I saw where we had struggles and I also saw great leadership. It tested all of us and tested our team and tested us early. And I'm grateful for how the universities responded. I think they've done very well. We've done very well navigating a very difficult time. So it's interesting. What I was actually going to ask, doctor, is do you feel like, hey, because I've heard some people say, this, oh, I got a bad break. Like, look, you, you take over the university as the president um, and look at what I'm facing out of the box. You don't look at it that way. You, you see, listen, th these are the, this is the hand that we have been dealt. My only job is to figure out how to play this hand as best I and we can. You block out all the other, hey, woe is me stuff? Absolutely. I block all those things out and focus on the task at hand. And also the question on when the clouds do part and the pandemic lessens, how can we ensure we're better positioned than we were before we went into the pandemic? And that's where we're spending most of our time and most of our energy. Uh, and that's definitely how I view it. You know, it's interesting. They're interesting. There are two leadership books that I promote in our, go on our website. You'll see stand-deliver.com on our website. Two books written by Dr. Spencer Johnson. Uh, one is Who Moved My Cheese? You know the book, right? I do. And the cheese is a metaphor for anything you want. The cheese keeps moving. It's about change. The other one is Dr. Spencer Johnson's book, Peaks and Valleys. And managing the peaks when you're at the top, a sports team's at the top, and they say, hey, we're good. Status quo, which you know isn't a plan, right? You can only go down from there. But the valley, if you consider a valley a really tough time, how do you manage that? Is, is the peaks and valleys, the peaks and valleys metaphor appropriate for what we're talking about right now? I do. I think it's a great metaphor. It's a bit like whitewater rafting combined with peaks and valleys. And, we, and we're moving through a difficult space that, again, we, had, we have more clarity now than we did three weeks ago. Uh, but this could all turn tomorrow because the virus, we've seen many twists and turns. So I do think the peaks and valleys metaphor is a great metaphor. Um, and we're also trying to ensure that we're not living from one eruption to another, right? And, and we've seen that in another pandemic in our country recently. Yeah, my last question. I asked virtually every leader, uh, including Dr. Brian Price over at the Bucino Leadership Institute and Pat Lyons, uh, your colleague uh, who was on Lessons in Leadership, I dance around this question. Sometimes they ask it very directly because I think about it myself. How as a leader, particularly in times of crisis, how do we exude confidence when sometimes deep inside we feel insecurities and fear and anxiety? How do you do it? Honesty and compassion. I think that in times of uncertainty and great stress, having people that are honest and demonstrate compassion and that are leaning forward 
helps us all move through what can be a wildly stressful period. And I think those elements are critical. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I lied. One more quick question. Uh, Miles Powell, um, those of us who are Seton Hall University basketball fans, love watching him for the four years that he played at Seton Hall. And one of the things that struck me beyond his play on the court is the kind of leader he was and is. Camaraderie, giving credit to other people, um, enthusiasm. Am I overestimating Miles Powell as a leader? No, I think you're right on the mark. He, he, he's a leader and even in difficult times, nights of big losses, he was there uh, when a young fan would come up to him after the game and want to say hello and want to greet him. So dealing with great, with, with great challenges on the court and off the court, he was there for the community and the community is greater than his team. He was there for the community of Seton Hall and all who follow Seton Hall. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as we close this interview with Dr. Nair, um, I think Miles Powell had scored 30 points. He won a big game nationally televised on Fox and he's doing the interview and as they're praising him, he sees one of his colleagues, help me on this, a very tall center, um, uh, drawing a blank. He called the center over on the team who had like 15 rebounds and 15 points. And he said, hold on one second. Here's the real hero of the game. I'm embarrassed I don't have his name on my, my fingertips. But what's really, oh, it's, no, it wasn't Michael Enzi. I'm sorry. It was, I, Nicole, thanks for that try. It was our center this year at seven foot two. Help me on this. He called him over and he said, this is the guy that you want. And I thought to myself, who does that? Who gives credit to someone else like that? That's part of leadership too. Sorry, I got on my soapbox, Joe. Hey, just real quick, if I could, uh, we're playing Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt and, uh, and we're winning the game. It, it, and it, it, it was a big win for us this season. And coach pulled Miles out and uh, coach Willard did. And Miles Paul on the sidelines, his senior year playing Vanderbilt, is cheering and cheering and cheering for his teammates, not frustrated that he was pulled out of the game because he knew that he was part of a team and that whether he's on the court or off the court, he plays a role. And I think that's a demonstration of integrity. That's leadership, that's integrity, and that's why we do lessons in leadership. Dr. Nair, thanks so much uh, for joining us. All the best. Great to be with you, Steve. That was Dr. Joseph Nair from Seton Hall University. Mary, two quick points that you wanted to raise about this having to do with integrity and changing course when things either go wrong or you have new information. Yeah, Dr. Nair really shared some great tips and tools about leadership. First and foremost, that integrity is so important for every leader at every level. And that was true prior to COVID and any crisis. But once you're within a crisis, it is so critical. And the second major point but that right, I- Hold on, don't go to the next one. How do you define integrity for a leader? Integrity, and is it any different from integrity for a human being, a person? I really don't think it is. I think integrity, that's one of those traits of a human being. It's a characteristic that to me really just means that you're trustworthy, you're dependable, you're reliable. And I, you know, we always say, you know, my word is my bond. And it's so true. It's, it's knowing that what you say is what you're going to do. And there's not a question mark at the end of the day in terms of, all right, I'm going to steer the organization in this way. You could trust, you know that I'm going to do it. Um, to me, that's integrity. Yeah, real quick. I know the other point you want to make, but so in playing golf, I mean, I play by the rules when it comes to our business and, and I try to have integrity and do the right thing. 
But in golf, I've rolled the ball to give myself a better lie. And guys like, hey, you got to play the ball where it lies. That like, is not, yeah, yeah that, that's not a demonstration of integrity, no. Uh, Sorry. Hold on. You're <laughs> saying if you roll the ball and give yourself a little bit of a better lie or if it's in a divot or something, that's I, I don't know much about golf, but that no, kind of no, sounds like right. cheating. I know. I've read the rule book. It's not okay. It's not but okay. Not I do mini golf, and I, I know in mini, mini golf, it's not okay. Okay, so if you're in mini golf and you're up against the thing and you need a little, never mind. Uh, and real quick, before I let everyone out of here, uh, do the thing on uh, changing course. Oh, changing hey, course. Yeah, sure. Establish the course. We got to stick to it. Absolutely. You need to be able to uh, make a change. We call it an audible, like right at that moment, you had planned to go in a certain direction. You see the signs. You see that actually this is not going to go well. You need to have the courage to change the course, whether that means saying, you know, I, I went in a wrong direction, but now I see that this is going to be better for everyone as a whole. So I, I thought that was very, a very great point. Good stuff. Hey, by the way, folks, you can find lessons in leadership on News 12 Plus and a variety of other digital media information platforms. Mary's been thanking our underwriters, our sponsors the entire time. On behalf of Mary Gamba, uh, Elvin, Frank, and Nick, our son on, on our end, I want to thank everyone for joining us. And the team at Lessons in Leadership says, thank you. Take care of yourself. See you next week. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825.